Welcome to the Kupinger Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinwart. I'm Lead Advisor and Senior Analyst with Kupinger Coal Analysts. My guest today is John Tolbert. He is a Lead Analyst with Kupinger Coal working out of the United States. Hi, John. Good to see you. Hi, Matthias. Great to have you. And again, we are here to talk about a piece of research that you just finalized that has just been published. We want to talk about a leadership compass in the area of EPDR. First of all, John, what is behind that acronym? What is EPDR? Well, EPDR stands for Endpoint Protection, Detection, and Response. So, you know, in years past, there we're all familiar with antivirus, and then we had next generation antivirus, and then a whole slew of other products kind of evolved in the market around that, um, you know, secondary functions, I guess I would call them, things like an endpoint firewall, being able to have like URL filtering, you know, to prevent users from going to known bad websites. Then came application control, which, you know, is aimed at being able to prevent regular end users from running applications that, you know, could potentially be malicious. Uh, and then system file integrity monitoring. Uh, a lot of these were separate products that developed over the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, and they all kind of got rolled into what became known as endpoint protection, which was all the antivirus, next-gen antivirus, and all these other capabilities packaged into a single product. And then along came endpoint detection and response, uh, kind of, you know, thinking 10, 15 years ago with like the development of the Lockheed Martin kill chain, uh, there's only so much that can be prevented. Uh, at some point, there's an acknowledgement that uh, malware sometimes does make it through. And endpoint detection and response uh, solutions were designed to, you know, look for, you know, indicators of compromise. That's what we mean by IOCs there. And to be able to pull in cyber threat intelligence and, you know, be able to take suspected malicious code and send that off to a sandbox where it could be uh, analyzed uh, and a determination made whether or not the, the code was uh, bad. EDR also has things in it like alerting and reporting mechanisms, uh, you know, a query interface so that security analysts can sit at a console and say, okay, I think I found something that's malicious here on this one endpoint. Is it anywhere else in my entire organization? You know, being able to run those kinds of uh, queries, get information back in real time, and then be able to do things like say, okay, um, let's quarantine or delete those files or change registry uh, settings back to the way they were before, you know, a suspicious event happened. Uh, all of that can generally be done within the console of an EDR solution. So we have these two not competing but complementary uh, pieces of functionality in endpoint protection and endpoint detection and response. Over the last five, ten years, these have increasingly sort of grown together. There have been a lot of acquisitions in the marketplace. So the idea is to make it simpler for end-user organizations to manage their endpoints, um, both the 
prevention uh, and the uh, detection and response functions have kind of been rolled into, you know, single stack products generally running uh, as a single agent on, on many different kinds of endpoints. I know that's a long answer to your question. Yeah, but it really told the story and it shows us that you're covering that market for quite a while, uh, although this is yet another new acronym, but that uh, also shows the, the combination, this merging together of different categories. You've mentioned these these indicators of compromise. Um, what are these signals, these indicators that these solutions are looking at and how do they respond then? Well, you know, some examples of indicators of compromise might be things like, you know, changes to registry entries, uh, malicious operators, when they get on a machine, they want to make sure that they can persist, you know, through reboots. So they will often, you know, change entries in the registry to make sure the malicious code runs every time uh, a machine reboots. Uh, there can be, you know, changes to the system files. You know, maybe important uh, DLLs get changed that have malicious code. That's another reason why it's good to use like system file integrity monitoring to make sure that, you know, proper um, manufacturer uh, deployed code is actually in use. There can be things like unusual use of network ports by applications. I mean, we all know that, you know, browsers should be using things like, well, 443, TCP 443, we shouldn't really be running HTTP TCP port 80 uh, these days, but let's think about you know other applications that are, have well-known uh, TCP or UDP port associations. If you get, have an application that starts using some strange port, then you know it's probably worth checking into. Then there's just you know contact with known bad IPs or URLs, or maybe they weren't known to be bad at the time that a user or a process on a workstation access them. Uh, that's where, you know, up-to-date cyber threat intelligence, looking back at the logs to see, you know, at that time, you know, was that a known bad IP or not? You know, unusual process injections, uh, that could be a sign of uh, malicious code trying to inject itself into something that uh, looks legitimate uh, so that it can continue running. And then sometimes we also see things like modification of module load points. It might again, have a library or something that has uh, malicious code inside. So, you know, changing where it loads from, where it loads to, uh, could be uh, an indicator of compromise also. Those are just some examples. There's there's plenty more. And, and these things change all the time. That's why, you know, up-to-date uh, cyber threat intelligence is, is really important for all security solutions today. Right, and you've mentioned already the, the R stands for responses. So these solutions are designed and, 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 and created to support the uh, security analysts, um, either manually or even automatically by, um, by issuing commands, by issuing, um, by, by, yeah, by co committing tasks uh, on the individual system to prevent this harm from continuing or from even taking place. What could be such re um, responses? Are they, are they also changing over time? Yeah, you know, for e EPDR systems, of course, the focus is on the endpoint. So what can you do to mitigate or remediate problems that are discovered on the endpoint, as well as, you know, 
collecting forensic evidence, like I said, you know, running queries to get, you know, up-to-date cyber threat intel. You know, there are scripts that, you know, many of these solutions come with that can kind of help with the threat hunting. Many of these solutions also uh, interact with IT service management solutions. So, you know, you can create tickets that can be tracked across the enterprise, you know, manage those tickets. Um, alerting is, is obviously really important as well. You've got to have your <clears throat> SOC analysts uh, in SOC management aware of problems that are going on. And then just looking at the um, the programs themselves and what, what can be accomplished on the endpoint, you can obviously terminate processes. You know, most of these EPDR agents, all these EPDR agents run at the kernel level, so they've got uh, you know, pretty much full control. So they can terminate processes. They can, you know, delete or move files, uh, roll back registry entries, you know, isolate the nodes from the network and only allow it to talk to like the, the console for the EPDR solution. And then in many cases, <clears throat> excuse me, they also allow rolling back the endpoint to like a last known good state. Okay, so um, quite a range of potential responses. Um, you've, you've described the market, and the market, as you said, is changing. And the, I assume that the products that are out there, they they vary in individual characteristics and what they uh, have as capabilities. Um, but in the end, when you're writing a leadership compass, you have to come to a common denominator, to a set of, of criteria to apply to all of them. What were these criteria that you could use to to make sure that this um, um, varying market of products or market segment is is judged um, yeah, fairly and, and adequately for, uh, reg regarding these different types of, of products. Yeah, so kind of looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, is how we've defined these, you know, broadly into the prevention, protection, and then the detection and response features. Um, for the leadership compass, you know, we, we have spider charts that show, you know, relative, uh, effectiveness in, in the different categories. So here are the categories that, uh, I decided to use. One was on malware prevention. That's, you know, trying to determine whether or not a piece of code is malicious before it runs or maybe while it's running so that it can be shut down before, you know, real damage occurs. There's also the, those secondary endpoint protection. Uh, functions like application control and URL filtering. Not all the vendors, you know, have a full range of secondary EPP uh, functionality within their platforms. But then on the EDR side, there's, you know, the ability to detect compromises, uh, facilities to allow SOC analysts to do investigations And then those responses, and like you were saying, you know, they can be manual or in some cases scripted, automated, and then overall management of those platforms. Right. Interesting. Um, when Before we show some of the results, which we this time actually do, um, I want to really highlight the fact that this leadership compass is not something that is to be read to look um, to the upper right corner of a quadrant or to the right area of the of, of, a, of a diagram to identify the best 
product around. But the Leadership Compass is always designed to support organizations in finding the right product for their use cases and for their um, application infrastructure. So it needs to be read with a more skilled eye as well and apply your own requirements. Um, having that said that, when we look at the market, what were the, the the vendors that you were looking at, and how did they score overall? Although it might not might not be the perfect match for any organization. Yeah, we had uh, you know qu quite a few vendors in the field, um, and we took a look at you know all those capabilities listed before, and that's how we generate the positioning on the charts here. And, and you know, you're right. I mean, there are it's not all about who's in the top right. Uh, each vendor, you know, has, you know, a good number of customers and, and are satisfying their customers uh, with the functionality that they provide. But based on the criteria that we've identified, uh, I thought we would just kind of quickly step through these charts so that uh, uh, those who are watching can kind of get a feel for what, uh, what the overall market and the product and the innovation Uh, graphics look like right so if we look at the uh, at the first of all of, of course it's important also for the vendors the overall leaders w means this is the combination of all the individual scores that you applied all put together into one scale and and how does that look like what is the, the important to highlight here uh, just the you know overall leadership is uh, covers product Uh, innovation and market, and then you know the nine functional categories that we look at below that. So it's kind of an amalgamation of all the the different scores and ratings uh, below it. And that's how we the overall leadership positioning is placed. Right. I think more interesting when it comes into more details is these combined scores that we have. And then we end up with quadrants where there's two dimensions to be looked at. Um, and you've mentioned the, the product leaders, which is uh, in that graphics that we see right now is combined with the overall rating so that the, the strength of the product itself. Um, not the market position, not the innovation, but the, the product as a whole is mapped to the overall rating. And, and I think that's also an important factor to, to look at um, when it comes to, to judging these products from the, from the overall rating and the product rating. Anything to add or to highlight from your side regarding that chart? Uh, no, this is just intended to sort of be a, a quick look at the positions. I think it's important uh, for uh, those who are interested in EPDR solutions to actually look at the accompanying text on these as well uh, to understand, you know, exactly what each vendor does, uh, what strengths, what challenges they have. Okay, great. And uh, while we have a, while we're talking, we have a, a quick glance also at the innovation leaders. Um, I want to, to point out that this leadership compass, there's much, much more information in there. It's not just this graph. There's lots of diligent work that, uh, that made it, uh, its way into these individual assessments of the products and the vendors. And it's, it's out. Um, it has been published. It is available for our subscribers at our website, kupingercoal.com. And um, it's highly recommended for those who are interested in products in that market segment that they head over to our website and and just try to find your leadership compass in EPDR solutions and and apply it to their own use cases and their own um, architecture and infrastructure. 
Um, any final thoughts that you would like to share? Did, did the market change very much? Of course, we have this new term, um, but has it matured? Have no new players arrived? What was your view, your outlook on that market? And how do you expect it to change over time for the next edition of that leadership compass? You know, it it has it is mature and has been mature for quite a while. Uh, there are occasionally new entrants into the market, uh, and you know, as we were saying before, there are groupings of functionality. You know, EPP and EDR companies are getting together uh, through acquisitions, mergers. You know, I think the trend ahead is going to be around XDR. Um, I I think you know EPP functionality really needs to be a part of that, but also NDR needs to be a part of that. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to keep an eye on the mar market uh, and see how both it evolves and, and you know where the hype goes around this as well. But it's definitely something that absolutely everybody needs because you know the, the biggest form of malware that we hear about these days is ransomware, and it is a real, a real and growing threat. It hasn't really gotten, uh, it hasn't diminished in its power or frequency. So. Everyone uh, really needs EPDR solutions in their enterprises. Great. Thank you very much. And thank you also for this diligent work that you do. You're all, all these analysts that do these leadership compasses and market compass documents, I have my highest respect because I know that is, this is really a, a, a huge amount of work to, to do to bring justice to all these solutions and, and to, to look at that market segment as a whole. Um, so for today, thank you very much, John, for sharing your insight into that market and your work. And um, great that is to see it published. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon uh, for another episode. And uh, I'm really looking forward to having you um, again in this podcast. Thank you for your time. And thank you for, for joining me today, John. Thank you. Thank you and bye-bye.